0: Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the Church today, and how the Gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the Church. Living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. God knows all about your troubles. God knows why you are crying and how long you have been crying. God knows what you are struggling with and where you are stuck. God knows why you continue to struggle with things God has already taken away from you. God also knows why you keep going back and picking them up. God knows what you tell yourself and why you believe this is the best point of view. God knows where you are, where you are going, and why you believe that you should be further along the path. God knows all the questions you have and why you still have no answers. God knows our challenges and God knows your potential. God knows all of the ins and outs of why you feel in or out of touch with God. God knows you. It's important for you to know that when it feels most like there is no one, it simply isn't true. There is always someone who is as concerned about your concerns as you are. God also knows that what you believe and put your faith in can make a world of difference in what you know and don't know. Therefore, to help you know this God who cares, we enter together into the Archbishop's Corner, where Archbishop Leonard Blair of Hartford will help direct our faith in the right direction. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner, where you can reintroduce us to the God who cares, really cares about our concerns. How are you today? Very well.
1: You want me to reintroduce you to God?
0: reintroduce us to the, the moral perspective. Actually, what I'm really getting at is if we look at society today and we look at all the divisions and the causes, the moral choices that affect our lives, I'd actually like to know what your recommendation would be in terms of how one navigates in this type of a society in which we currently reside.
1: Well, that's a very good question um, because I think uh, it's no secret. It's clear to everybody that we're living in a kind of uh, angry and divided society about many things. Mm -hmm. I think we have to be careful not to exaggerate that because uh, that only makes it worse. But how do you deal with with, uh, this? You know, I think of how things have become so uh, politicized and so fraught with social consequences, you know. I I had a situation like that occur recently. Uh, You know, I I heard on the evening news that certain people in Congress in Washington were asking that a new credit card company be engaged for Congress people uh, in Washington because Citicorp is one of the companies that I didn't know that... um, has said that they will pay for their employees' travel expenses if they want to get an abortion, oh, yeah. and they have to cross to another state to get it. And I I mean, I have two thoughts about that. One is, I mean, how horrendous is that, that we've come to that point? But secondly, uh, that uh, I think it would have been unheard of that a company that engages in financial services or that makes groceries or cars or whatever should suddenly be stepping out in such a provocative way to say they will pay out-of-company money for somebody to go have an abortion in this case. And, you know, I have a Citicorp uh, credit card myself, and I thought, gee, you know, I do, do I need to make a statement about this? And I would like to, but then they, I have to ask myself, how do we even know nowadays? So, okay, let's say I use a different credit card, and I make it known why I've stopped using the one, Citicorp, who knows what that other company might be up exactly. to? You know what I mean. Yeah. It becomes a, a a situation that's very complex, and I think we have to have a certain restraint about how we we deal with this. I mean, on a much larger, huge level, we have the what's going on with uh, Russia and their war, uh, you know, on Ukraine. We see how businesses, companies, and commerce. Has, is pulling away from Russia and, and punishing them that way. So we see that that kind of thing is used, uh, can be used for a moral purpose. But at what point within our own society do we start to get, uh, become so problematic? I will say this, that one thing that the church has done for many, many years is um, socially responsible investing, you know? True, true. Uh, yeah. So uh, w- there are companies out there uh, services that provide uh, a research on on uh, you know investments. So, for example, um, you know the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Uh, there's a social uh, socially responsible investing um, service that's provided that that will 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 vet uh, investments uh, for, in consideration of moral teaching. And, uh, you know, that's very important uh, for all of us to do, I think. Uh, And that's one way where it can be done in a responsible way. But for an ordinary person in your everyday life, it becomes kind of bewildering anymore. And I say this with sadness because if our society starts to become so polarized around these things, um, this doesn't bode well, you know, for for, uh, domestic tranquility.
0: Well, today, Archbishop, the 1st of May, a new month starts. May is a month full of national celebrations, including National Mental Health Awareness Month, Jewish American Heritage Month, Spiritual Literacy Month. It's also Older Americans Month. And historically, May has been a time to acknowledge the contributions of the past and current older persons to our country, in particular, those who defended our country. We should also salute the contributions of older Americans to our parishes and it it seems that more and more our pews are populated by an older crowd as Archbishop, are you at all concerned that fewer and fewer young people are churchgoers today
1: well i'm hugely concerned, and I think we, we should be uh, you know that uh, the statistics the surveys of, of young people with regard to the practice of the faith uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: are not uh, very in, uh, encouraging you know that uh, a lot of times uh, it's not, and we've talked about this before, that people are not hostile to the church or they're not, uh, uh, it's not that they uh, object to the church's uh, place in society or teaching, but they just aren't interested in going every Sunday. They're just not interested in, in practicing the faith. And of course for us, that's a great wound because of what we believe about the Holy Eucharist and the sacraments in particular. The church is not just about coming together to pray, but it's about receiving something that Jesus said without which we cannot have eternal life, and that is his body and blood in Holy Communion. So, yes, uh, and I don't know where we're headed on that. You know, it's 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 very clear it's not just a Catholic uh, problem, a Catholic challenge. It's true of religion in general. Our country's becoming less and less religious with regard to the practice of any religion. And so we have to uh, work and pray uh you know, and invite, encourage, and you know, Jesus says to his disciples, go from town to town and uh, preach the good news, and if they will not receive it, shake the dust from your sandals and move on. Maybe we're in a little different situation today uh, than at the very beginnings of, of uh, Christianity, but we have the, you know, what does St. Paul say, you have to preach in season and out of season. You have to constantly be working at it, and that's what our, our uh, mission is.
0: Tuesday is National Teacher Day, a day to show appreciation for all the remarkable individuals who have dedicated their lives to teaching. Teachers are kind, patient, hardworking, dedicated, and understanding professionals that mold our children into positive direction. How about a word of encouragement and gratitude to our dedicated Catholic school teachers, Archbishop?
1: Oh, absolutely. I was uh, very happy, privileged, really, to be at the cathedral some weeks ago Uh, for Mass, uh, for our teachers, uh, particularly for those that were being acknowledged and honored for years of service. At the conclusion of the Mass, uh, I distributed. uh, presided over the distribution of these awards. And I'm told that the teachers really were very grateful for that and very happy to be there. You know, some of them have devoted really their whole adult life to Catholic education. Mm. Uh, And so at different levels of service, they were, were recognized for that. So you know, that's a great, uh, great calling and a, and a, a vital one.
0: And on Thursday, May 5th, Americans of all religious backgrounds will gather together to pray and seek God during the annual National Day of Prayer. It was created in 1952 by a joint resolution of the United States Congress, signed into law by President Harry S. Truman at that time. Talk to our listeners, Archbishop, about the importance of prayer, especially at this time of unrest in the world.
1: It goes back to the most fundamental of all realities, and that is that without God, life really cannot see or attain uh, its purpose or happiness or meaning. Mm. Uh, You know, uh, and as we become more and more irreligious in the United States, uh, the pain of that will become more and more apparent. It's already very apparent in the... The social uh, crises that and, and personal crises that people have, I've talked about this perhaps may, too many times. People maybe tired of hearing it, but you know all this suicide and drug use and and violence and everything that often reflects a life that is without uh, being centered on religion on God, and and uh, you know so we're creating our own misery without God. And I just think that it's very important for us to and also not to use God as some kind of, of um, idea, but to realize that God is, is a real a personal reality, uh, you know, not just some higher impersonal power or something. And I, I hope that uh, people will we, people sometimes do lip service to prayer uh, by which I, I mean that they, they say it's it, oh, of course, but they they don't actually do it.
0: Let me ask you this, Archbishop. There's something special, I think, about community prayer. I mean, we can pray by ourselves in morning prayer, evening prayer, what have you. But praying together as a community, such as at Mass, that brings something special to our prayer because it's almost like an extra boost of encouragement when we're praying together with each other for a common need. Wouldn't you agree
1: well, I would go much further, that no one of us can, is saved individually, no one of us in mm-hmm. Christianity relates to God individually. We become, by baptism, a member of the body of Christ, of which we are all members. And we are members of the flock of Christ, which is not just some one sheep individually roaming by his or herself. So it is of the very substance, of the very nature of Christianity and of the Gospel, that we are so mystically, intimately related to one another as members of the one body of Christ with him as our head. And so when you talk about prayer, there's no such thing as a prayer of a a Christian that is just absolutely isolated and alone. That's that's a contradiction. All the more tragic and sad is for somebody who claims to be Christian or claims to be Catholic and doesn't go to Mass uh, and, and thinks that somehow that that's legitimate because it really isn't.
0: Saturday is what's called National Tourism Day, a day observed during National Travel and Tourism Week, which annually takes place the first full week of May. If you had to pick one place in Connecticut that was a must-see for you, what would it be, Archbishop? A
1: must-see in of tourism in Connecticut? Yeah. Well, I think I've seen all of them since I've come. That I, I mean, that are, there's plenty more to see, but of the things that I... Would have liked to see and of course uh, well i'm not being um, how should i say i'm not being coy here when i say that uh, the cathedral of saint joseph in hartford connecticut was very high on my list uh, of uh, a beautiful and historic uh place uh, i suppose yeah. most of my uh, sites are are religious uh, but there there are a lot of nice things to see in connecticut
0: let's now take a look at our gospel reading for today this third sunday of easter And our reading is from John's Gospel, the 21st chapter. After the Gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you. Archbishop, ask for your thoughts.
2: After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them,
3: I'm going fishing. We will go with you.
2: They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them,
3: Children, have you any fish? No. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some.
2: So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in for the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord! When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his clothes, for he was stripped for work, and sprang into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it. And bread. Jesus said to them,
3: Bring some of the fish that you have just got.
2: So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Come
3: and have breakfast.
2: Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon,
3: son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Simon, son of John,
2: do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me?
3: Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Truly, truly I say to you, when you were young, you girded yourself and walked where you would. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish to go.
2: This he said to show by what death he was to glorify God. Follow me.
0: Archbishop, another post-resurrection appearance of the risen Christ. Your thoughts on our gospel passage.
1: Yes, well this is this mysterious time between the resurrection at Easter and the ascension of Christ uh, to heaven. Uh, forty days afterward uh in w- at which time uh Jesus has not yet uh f- ascended to his heavenly father it's an interim period and there's a certain mystery about it because it's forty days and yet not a lot is told about it but the tradition is uh, tells us that that uh, Jesus used this time uh to um Go more into depth with with his apostles uh, about his teaching and and his will for what would be the church. There's this element that Jesus is Jesus, and yet he's changed. That it is truly Christ, and he and he goes out of his way to show that he really is risen in his physical body. That he's not some phantasm. He's not some ghost or spirit. You know, in the in the creed, we we profess, I believe, in the resurrection of the body. And I know, of course, we can say, what if somebody's eaten by a shark or they're burned in a fire or this or that? Mm -hmm. We leave that up to God, how a a body that's so utterly destroyed, even beyond just turning to dust, how how that can happen. Uh, But all things are possible for God. And the importance of emphasizing that, uh, you know, we believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. And when Jesus makes these appearances as mysterious as they are, calling the disciples to, to recognize that it really is him returned from the dead and teaching them, preparing them for the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, for the life of the church.
0: To emphasize that bodily resurrection, that's one of the reasons why he asks them for something to eat, is it not?
1: Yes. And of course, there too, we don't, you know, I mean, by all accounts and our understanding, you know, we don't sit down to breakfast, lunch, and dinner in heaven, literally, and eat, eat a meal. But in this, in his risen body, in this in this interim, in these forty days, in this mysterious way, Jesus actually shows the the reality of his risen flesh. In the dis- other words, the tomb was empty. The body it's the same body that Christ uh, was born with, that he was raised from the dead with.
0: And don't you just love Peter? He hears the stranger on the shore is actually the Lord, so he jumps overboard. And Jesus has a fire going with fish and bread on it. This is such a human moment, filled with emotion. Huh?
1: Well, yes, these are very moving things, especially about Peter, because his, you know, he always wears his heart on his sleeve, and so Peter, who's all gung ho, and then backs off and says he would die for Christ, then he denies him three times, then he cries, then Jesus forgives him, and then you know, all of this—it's it's really a, a drama here with Peter. That's a very important for us too to realize his humanity.
0: And Jesus asks Peter, "Do you love me?" Three times he asks the same question, and Peter responds, "Yes, Lord, you know I love you." Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, "Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep." You can almost feel Peter getting exasperated. Why is he asking me over and over and over again? Do you love me? Is there a reason? Well, I for think
1: that? perhaps I. Whenever we talk about this gospel, I say this. So I may have said it before on the radio, but you know, Saint Augustine very beautifully says that. How many times did Peter deny Christ? Three times, remember? He was asked in the courtyard of the high priest, don't you know him? And three times Peter swore, no, I don't know him. So now St. Augustine says that Jesus gives Peter the opportunity to untie the three knots that he had tied by his denial to untie them by a threefold profession of love. So that's a very beautiful thing. Of course, to me, this gospel has some personal significance, and I chose for my own uh, coat of arms uh, in Latin, pasche oves meas in Latin, which is feed my sheep, which are the words of this gospel to St. Peter in the, in the, at the end of John's gospel.
0: That becomes something for you of not only a motto, if you will, but maybe a direct calling from the Lord as to what you as Archbishop of Hartford are called to do.
1: Well, every bishop's called to do that. Uh, we're all, you know, Peter is the head of the College of Bishops, the College of the Apostles, and their successors, the bishops. And so, now you have the successor of Saint Peter, Pope Francis, and the bishops in the College of Bishops in the world that are meant to be um, representative of that apostolic College at the beginning.
0: Let's take a look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance. Paul from Derby says, An Italian scientist is claiming that a new technique using X-ray dating shows the Holy Shroud of Turin is much older than some scientists have stated and that it does, in fact, coincide with Christian tradition by dating back to around the time of Christ's death and resurrection. Do you think that scientific findings like this will encourage people to convert to Christianity?
1: Well, Paul, you've asked really, um, there's two things to your question. One is... With regard to the shroud, it's always been venerated uh, uh, as a relic, a true relic of, of uh, the crucifixion, and uh, the dating, the carbon dating that was done some time ago, seemed to su- or suggested that it was not authentic, that it was it only dated from I think the uh, Renaissance or late Middle Ages. But the reality is, from the beginning, there was concern about the nat- the way that test was conducted because you know the Shroud had been subjected at one point in history to singeing from a fire. And uh, so I think that further tests have been done that suggest that may, that carbon test that was done was not, it was not really reliable. I, I think it could, it could very well be uh, at the Shroud. I believe, Personally, I believe it is the Shroud of, of, of Christ's burial. Now, as far as your second part of your question, do you think that uh, this would encourage people to convert to Christianity? I don't. I don't know. Perhaps some, but you know, what what does the scripture say that some people won't believe even if he, if someone were to rise from the dead, they wouldn't believe. So, if they're not going to necessarily believe because of the shroud, but we hope and pray that if a relic like that gives people encouragement, then so be it.
0: Robert from Southington has a question for you, saying the book of Revelation is very frightening confusing and full of symbolism that some think predicts the end of the world, but I have read some Bible scholars who say it describes the world at the time shortly after the resurrection and describes the persecution of the early church. Who is right?
1: Well, they're all right. Uh, It's not uh, meant to be a book of history. It is uh, a spiritual book, uh, the book of Revelation, that uh, talks about God's plan of, of history with the coming of Christ, and so yes, it does talk about the end of the world, uh, but it doesn't talk about it in terms of defining when that's going to happen, or uh, exactly physically how it's going to happen. The Book of Revelation is filled with with tremendous imagery and symbolism of the conflict between good and evil, and the you know the sinfulness of the human race and the redemption wrought by Christ talks about the persecution that followers of Christ will experience in this world. And so, in that sense, um, so yes, persecution is very definitely a part of, of what's in the book of Revelation. Uh, but to say that it, it is a scientific or historical document, no, it is a, a spiritual theological statement of, of the great conflict that goes on between good and evil and Christ's uh, definitive victory, over-evil that will one day be totally manifest in the transformation of a new heaven and a new earth. So it's that uh, spiritual uh, message that is the most important.
0: Patty from Simsbury says, In recent days, Pope Francis has distanced himself from any idea of going to Kiev questioning the effectiveness of such a gesture. The Pope suggested that he does not want to do anything to jeopardize the higher objectives, which are for him the end of the war, a truce, or at least the opening of humanitarian corridors. I am relieved that the Pope is not planning to go to Ukraine. It seems much too dangerous and must admit I am a bit shocked that he had even considered going in the first place. What would a visit from the Pope accomplish in Ukraine?
1: Well, it's not for me to <laughs> – I can only say that, uh, obviously, uh, if if he gave thought to going or people suggested he go, it would be a, s- a sign of ultimate solidarity to show mm-hmm. that he's willing to, uh, to identify himself with the Ukrainian people, even to the point of facing the dangers that they are facing. Um, but having said that, uh, you know, it can also be argued, is it really a, a helpful or prudent thing for the pope to do? And I certainly respect his judgment that he gave thought to possibly going, to showing the solidarity with and pleading right there for an end to this conflict. Uh, but in the end thought that it it would be it wouldn't be that helpful to do. So he decided not to go. But um, my goodness, you know what's happening there is so cruel and so unjust Absolutely. and so really diabolical. Uh, this effort by one people to to just take over another. Uh, But uh, we have to do everything we can to to work and pray, to pray and work that um, the Ukrainian people will be able to fend off this attack and be able to live in, in freedom and independence.
0: Alan from Waterbury says, May 1st is a big holiday in parts of the world that have followed Karl Marx, a celebration of the worker in communist societies. In 1955, Pope Pius had our church celebrate the day in honor of St. Joseph the Worker? How important is it nowadays for people to emulate the foster father of Jesus?
1: Well, Alan, certainly uh, the creation of May 1st is kind of a counter, uh, a Catholic Christian answer to the workers of the world unite from Karl Marx, it has less importance or impact in the United States because uh, we celebrate a, a civil holiday of Labor Day, which Whatever the, the controversies of socialism or communism in, in American history back in the early 20th century, whatever that may be, I don't think anybody thinks of Labor Day as being fraught with, uh, with Marxist uh, ideology. So we celebrate human labor peacefully as a nation on Labor Day uh, nowadays. But that's to, not to take anything away from May 1st being the celebration of St. Joseph the Worker. And, of course, you know, we we just last year celebrated a year dedicated to St. Joseph. Our cathedral in Hartford uh, is uh, under the patronage of St. Joseph. And uh, Pope Francis wrote a very beautiful letter about uh, St. Joseph that I would commend to you. You can find it online or in other sources, a meditation for last year that has all of its, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, value still very much with us.
0: Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing?
1: Lord, as we enter more deeply into the season of spring, we see nature around us budding forth with new life, even as at the same time we bask in the glory of Easter and the resurrection. And we pray that in a world in which uh, there are many signs of death and uh, violence and injustice, We will be inspired by your resurrection and the gift of life that we see around us uh, to work for justice and peace, uh, to be people of great love for our neighbor and uh, people of great faith who turn to you in all things, uh, in prayer and in the sacraments, uh, to be guided on our way to eternal life. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. It's a pleasure to be with you and learn so much from you. We look forward to joining you next week as well. Thank you.